At bestvolleyballvideos.com, we have over 150 hours of training videos developed specifically for the youth and high school age volleyball player. Please go to bestvolleyballvideos.com. Hello, everybody. Today I'm joined by uh, the owner and the director of the Sports Performance Volleyball Club in Aurora, Illinois, Troy Gilb. And we've asked our bestvolleyballvideo.com members to submit uh, some of their questions regarding the starting and the development of a boys uh, junior youth volleyball program. Uh, we've had a lot of, a lot of inquiries about that. So uh, I want to welcome Troy today. Troy's a longtime friend. Uh, he was the director of uh, the boys program here at Sports Performance when Cheryl and I were here. Uh, has a lot of background in, in the boys game, been coaching it for a long time. And so we're going to kind of go through today some of the questions and some of the information that people have requested and uh, kind of turn this into a question and answer thing and just see you know how far we can take this so I want to welcome Troy so Troy welcome thank you very much I'm glad to be back for another podcast with you bestvolleyballvideos.com yes <laughs> www yep. so um, Troy we ask our uh, best volleyball video members we've, we've had requests to just I think boys volleyball is gaining in popularity it, it's becoming much much more popular uh, you know, we've seen the advent of boys it, it, from other sports kind of coming into volleyball for whatever reasons, you know, the, the safety issues in football or, you know, other things like that. But uh, I've got a list of questions today. And, you know, one of the things that you and I had talked about, we've talked about it a lot in the past. And, I mean, we kind of had a saying here at Sports Performance Forever that when boys are young, we're going to train them like girls. And then when girls are older, we're going to train them like boys. And, you know, the, the, basically the overview of that statement was to try to develop the, the most well-rounded male player and also the most well-rounded female player. So uh, I've been gone now for a little over a year, but is that still something that you guys kind of uh, – a, a trend you guys still are following? It's still absolutely a trend. And I think – We've seen a big uptick in the amount of participation that we've had with boys' programs, uh, especially in the last three years. Uh, we just had our tryouts about a month and a half ago with, with our boys' program and uh, for high school and junior high, and this is the first time in a number of years that we've actually had to cut some kids. And, you know, we hate to do that just because – you know, we want boys volleyball to grow, but we only have so much gym space and we only have so many coaches. But I think the growth has been great for our program and not only for our program, but the local programs around here that we compete with. But in terms of training uh, boys, we, we have the exact same philosophy that we've had before that we want to we want to train them like girls when they're young and then we have different areas of emphasis as they get older sure um and i i guess the question for you just in general in growth issues do you see does you know we've talked in a, in a previous podcast i talked about the the split the the junior boys clubs have left usa volleyball basically in mass because uh, I know last year the AAU boys tournament had over a thousand teams, and that's not a qualification event. You can sign up for that event, so you know you can spend your time training. You can pick your tournaments. You don't have to get on the the qualified or merry-go-round, as some people would say. But is the fact that basically any team now can can get to nationals, can get to Orlando, which is where the tournament is right now? Do you think that bodes well for boys long term? And and also, I guess before we get into the the details. How has your schedule changed uh, by, by basically moving to the AAU model and then the way you pick and choose your tournaments? And do you play more? Do you play less? I mean, maybe you can 
you can fill the, the listeners in on that because I think that long term is it's part of the development model. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk today about development, but you clearly have a different development model now than you had a few years ago when you had to attend a lot of qualifiers mm-hmm. to get to national. So maybe you can touch on that for a little while before we dive into these topics. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm actually really happy with the way that our schedule is laid out now. When I first took over the boys eight years ago, it was it was common that we would play anywhere from 75 to 85 matches in a season. Uh, we were playing virtually every weekend, and it was it was too much. And now the way that our schedule is set up, we have a, a local power league where we play, you know, both Saturday and Sunday, but we play two matches Saturday, two matches Sunday, and that's it. And I think it's it's perfect, especially early season where we're still developing our teams uh it helps in terms of injury prevention things like that going forward uh we have one major tournament in november we still train the month of december we have one major tournament in january and then uh, a local tournament in february so our schedule works out perfectly where we feel like we're not chasing any bids uh, what we're doing is we're trying to develop for the long haul. We want to have uh, a good national championship. That's our that's our main goal. So we get lots of really good good competition. We're just not playing as much, which is which I think is great because we can come back off of the weekend and say these are the areas that we did well. Here are the areas that we need to improve. So having the ability to play the California teams two times during the regular season, and then another time uh, at nationals has actually been very beneficial for us. So it sounds like, I mean, in the past, I think a lot of people have felt like if you just go to enough tournaments, your players will get a lot better. And in some sense, they'll get more experience, but it, sometimes it doesn't change motor skills. It doesn't change technical skills. So, you know, if you're playing less, but you're, like you say, you evaluate, come back, train in your gym, uh, but your quality of play may be higher. And I, I, you mentioned playing two times a day as opposed to in the girls' game. It's pretty traditional to play three times a day. But the boys jump high. They land hard. They're physical. Uh, it, it would seem like the two matches might be, for better term, more cushion-friendly. You're just not beating yourself up as much. Mm-hmm. So you're playing – you may be playing four matches over the weekend, and also you're not playing a lot of weekends back-to-back. So do you find out – you feel like that's going to make your guys – I guess the longevity factor is going to be better for you? It's going to be a lot better for us. And then there's also certain things that we can do in terms of what we do in the weight room. Uh, we can we can change those things up. We can give them days where they don't jump or have very little jumping. And we don't feel like we have to get ready for another tournament to try to get another bid. You're not always getting ready for the next tournament. We're not, You're actually training yeah. your guys based on what you saw in the last tournament. Exactly. Okay. And that has been... That has been very beneficial for us. Awesome. Okay, let's dive into these questions. We had one of our listeners said, uh, I think I'm going to start out with the program development. And the, one of the questions is, when boys are first coming into the sport, maybe 14 or 15 years old, how to best train the skills and keep the boys' interest? And, and what she says, I don't want to just play bad volleyball. I mean, what do you do at the, at the very early stages to kind of introduce boys to the skills and kind of set the stand for, for what, a standard for what you want them to do? Well, I, I think – there's a couple components to this. The, the first thing is, is I'm going to suggest that you try to 
uh, reach out and get as many young kids playing as possible. And it's very difficult because you're competing with baseball and basketball and football and soccer, and there's lots of different things out there. But I think when they're younger, that is the best time to try to develop a program. Uh, a lot of times what ends up happening is we don't get the volleyball athlete uh, for males until their sophomore year. They, they're exposed to it in high school, and then they have an interest in playing it. But a lot of times what ends up happening is, you know, because they've uh, not trained when they were 12, 13, and 14, some of the foundational skill development that uh, they would have had at those ages is lost, and now we're playing, trying to play catch up with them. Uh, one thing that boys love to do is hit, and if you can keep uh, keep them interested in the game by hitting every practice, that helps a lot. But also at the same time, you're going to have to develop the first contact skills, which is very important. If they don't have the first contact skills, they can't play the game can't of volleyball. Can't play the game. Ball won't come over the net. They, yeah. yeah, and you know we. We have a group now that are seniors in high school, and we were fortunate that when they were in seventh and eighth grade, we got them early, and they were tall, they were athletic, but they could not play volleyball one bit. And we just stuck with our training model uh, as far as having a ball control circuit for them, having them do defensive drills that we would do with the girls, which incorporates a lot of movement. We did a lot of shuffle movement with serve-receive. We stayed on them about how to, how to attack the first contact a little bit more. But then on top of it, we would do small group games of three-on-three, four-on-four, where they would get that hitting component as well. But uh, at an early age, uh, it's very important to get them involved. Once you get them involved and get them hooked on playing the game, uh, usually they stick with it, and it becomes their primary sport. Now, you've coached boys and girls. It's a little bit off topic. you coach boys and girls, and regardless of how we look at, you know, the sex issue in society, do you find that there's a difference in the way they play, the way they train, the way they approach training, the way they approach tr playing? Because you've coached both for years now. Mm -hmm. Do you find there's a difference there? Maybe we'll dive into that a little bit the, later. There, there are differences, and here, here's the thing that, uh, we always talk about with uh, with our younger kids is if you were to come into our gym and watch a junior high practice you would see boys and girls doing the exact same things when we teach technique when it comes to serve receive when it comes to defense setting attacking arm swing blocking movements all those technical traits are essentially the same what is different is the emphasis especially when they get into high school the emphasis changes a little bit uh, with our emphasis more on blocking with boys and serving accurately with power. Those, those are probably the two main differences when it comes to uh, training boys and girls. I think a lot of coaches don't realize that because the boys net is higher, if you're not serving the ball really hard, the boys will pretty much overhand pass every serve if it's a float serve, and they'll just run this. They'll run side out right down your throat. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people. So I think the serving, while the serving in the girls' game is brutally tough because the net's low. If you don't serve hard in the in the men's game or the boys' game, uh, it just makes the side out so much easier. Uh, well, and another thing on serve receive, the the primary 
serve that girls are going to see as a jump float. Yeah. All right. And that's very common, whether it's club, high school, college, international, that's the main serve that they are going to see. And most of the time, the girls will play it with their platform. So they'll move their feet. Whether you talk about midline or outside of midline, they'll most of the time play it with their platform. The difference with the boys is that you'll see a variety of different serves. You'll see jump float. You'll see a hybrid, which is a combination of a float and a spin. And then you'll see really hard, heavy top spin that will go over the net and come straight down or it might have a tail on it one way or the other. Spicy spiky. Yes. And so we talk about with our boys, we have three different ways that we receive serve. First is underhand on a float serve, which is the same as the girls. So we're going to try to move our feet, all right, lock our platform out. Everything remains the same there. But we also teach our boys to pass the ball using their hands on a float serve. So we'll move the boys up a little bit closer to the 10-foot line, and they'll intercept the ball with their hands. We even train that when they're young. So even at 14s, 13s, we will still train the boys to play the ball with their hands. The third one would be receiving a ball with topspin or slider movement. And because the ball is coming hard, now it's more of a cushioning effect. It's a deflecting uh, angle so we're, we're trying to take speed off of the ball so we have to train three different things whereas with the girls most of the time we're cha- training one thing yeah so so passing the jump serve I mean it, you know we talk to simplify it you're basically digging a really 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 hard what you would call a, a back like a deep court spike I mean it's not at the three meter line it's further back but you're digging a spike and so you've just got to keep the ball in play from there yes and a lot of times it's it's trying to get their belly behind the ball as much as possible and just absorbing keep, contact just, just keep it in play yeah. yes now there are some jump serves that that don't have a lot of power so the the cushioning effect isn't as necessary but that takes time to to train and track and understand how hard the ball is coming that's been one of the issues i think in the girls game is that you know after the 84 olympics you know when when the usa men won uh, some of the usa guys jump serve jump spin serve really well a lot of the college teams started jump serving but they just weren't hitting the ball that hard and because girls grow up with so much ball control work uh, you know the, the jump spin serve wasn't that effective now you kind of see it coming back with uh, Iganu and Boscovich and some of the better female players in the world, the big hitters, and they're effective now with the jump serve because the jump serve has gotten so much more powerful. So mm-hmm. it just gets to the passer a lot faster. So uh, do you, I, I anticipate down the road that there'll be a lot more females, women, who are jump spin serving kind of like the guys are doing. Do you, well, do you agree? I agree, and, yeah. I, and I think uh, the, the serve-receive, especially at the highest level for the women, they're in, they're in system consistently. Yeah. So now the servers have to take a little bit more risk. And you'll even see it at the college level now. You are seeing a lot more missed serves because teams are being more aggressive. You'll see really hard uh, float serves coming at passers. You'll see some top spin. Just trying to get teams out of system. And you got the hybrid serve like the the kid from uh, TCU Para has that kind of spin float hybrid serve. And so... I, I think I agree with you, and you made a key point. You see a lot more serving errors, and everybody is kind of if everybody's befuddled by what's the magic number. When, when do you have too many serving errors, and when are you serving aggressive enough to basically withstand those those serving errors? And mm-hmm. so, 
Uh, okay, next question. Somebody said they want to know what you focus on in your different age groups. I mean, break down just a general, what the general, you know, maybe your 14, 15 age group, your 16, or maybe 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 age group. Mm -hmm. So we, we do have a 12 and under team, and a lot of, a lot of the skill training is, is very well-rounded. And I would say it's that way for 12, 13, and 14. We want every player to have every skill. And we don't necessarily specialize that much when they're younger. Uh, because boys' growth spurts happen at different times. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not uncommon for us to have a player when he's 13 or 14 years old uh, be short, so we put him in a situation where when they play, he's a libero. But during that time, he's still developing his attacking. He's still developing his blocking footwork. There, we go through all the skills with our guys when they're young. So we want to try to develop good volleyball players, not necessarily good position players. And that doesn't occur until they get to the high school ages. So for the younger kids, everybody learns how to serve receive. Everybody learns how to set. Everybody learns how to attack. Everybody learns how to jump serve, jump float. Everybody gets treated the same, essentially. But when we actually go into competition, they will have the positions for them when they're 14. Yeah. But you know, when they're that age, we want them to develop into a good volleyball player because down the road, maybe at 16, they had a growth spurt and now they're five or six inches taller. Now this kid not only can pass, but now we can, we can turn him into an attacker. Or it's the opposite, maybe he was tall when he was young, but now as he gets older, he doesn't have that growth spurt. And if you're six foot tall when you're a 14 year old, that's pretty tall. Yeah. But when you're six foot tall, when you're 16 or 17, you're not very tall anymore. Yeah, you're short. Yeah. You're, you're short. So the younger age groups, we try to develop a lot more well-rounded skill. When we get into high school, the, the net height changes. So they go from playing on a women's net when they were in junior high to a men's net, which is eight inches higher. So now the training demands and the things that we're looking for when they're in high school changes slightly. So now we're taking the kids that are a little bit taller and maybe uh, emphasizing more of our setters being a little bit taller. Uh, we're trying to pinpoint some of the middles. Uh, in terms of training the actual skills, we're gonna spend uh, probably the same amount of time on serve and service Eve as we would with the girls. Uh, but now we're looking at attacking uh, more back row attack for our pin hitters. Uh, we're looking at different types of uh, middle attacks because we try to work our offense up the middle as much as possible. So now the game has changed from them from junior high to high school where we're trying to attack up the middle using the front row and back row more rather than just setting high balls in the middle when they're in junior high. So those type of things change. Uh, and you know, when we're in high school, now blocking becomes more important. And it's not necessarily us blocking balls, but slowing the ball down. Uh, defensively in the backcourt, it's not necess necessarily chasing balls down, it's digging hard driven balls. Uh, so the emphasis changes as they get older. And I guess the question is, um, 
uh, is there, you, you kind of address the differences with the, as the boys develop. What are also the differences, like the, just the basic, you can go over this quickly, but the basic difference in, between boys and girls just in the in the way they play it, between 14 and 18, you know, it it changes quite a bit uh, actually, and they're as they get older, uh, the timing component uh, of what they do offensively changes. When they're younger, we put the ball up a little bit higher so the kids can run and jump and take a good swing at it. Uh, but as they get older. Uh, you'll see it in the women's game and the men's game. The, the balls to the pins are faster. The back row attack is faster. So the things that we do as they get older, the timing becomes faster, and it has to be more precise. So the training of your passers and the training of your setters uh, is very important because attacking at the older age groups becomes significantly more important uh, also, serving becomes significantly important, more important. So, are those the are the are those what you would identify as the biggest difference? It's one of the questions one of the the members said. What are the big differences in skills, if any? Uh, they all have the same skills: pass, dig, serve. But what are the biggest differences in skills between the boys and the girls? And then, I guess to lead into the second question, you know. How, what's your major focus on the skills each practice for your boys versus maybe each practice for your girls, let's say high school, high school, high school? Well, for the girls, I think we emphasize uh, defense, digging, pursuit, uh, serve, receive, movement, uh, those type of things are, are very crucial uh, in the girls' game. If you can keep rallies alive, you increase your chances uh, of winning the rally boys game it's different is it's how fast can we get a kill or how fast can we end the rally i think that that is the biggest thing with with boys is what once you get into a rally situation uh, especially if you might not be quite as skilled as a team on the other side you're trying to terminate as quickly as possible now that's not to say that we don't want to do the same thing with the girls but it's just harder with girls uh in terms of th their defense with the boys the ball gets on them really quick so defensively, they're using more of their athleticism. Maybe they stick an arm out just to pop the ball up, whereas girls can probably get behind it and use their platform. So the emphasis changes a little bit uh, in regards to how much time we focus on the defense. We're not going to, like with the girls, we'll spend an hour in defensive drills. Boys, maybe a half hour. And the majority of that is they're digging hard-driven balls. Well, because I think also you look at you look at how hard the boys hit the ball, how fast it goes from the attacker to the ground, what's physically possible to dig and what's physically not possible. And then in the girls' game, there's just so many more balls that if you have great effort and you're in good position, you can dig the ball. And you know, so the girls put time in because there's more available balls to be dug, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And with the boys, it's just – you can be out there all day, and there's just going to be a lot of balls you, you have no chance to dig. And right. so I think you know if you if if you can't if 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 the physical possibility is not there to dig, then why would you practice digging so much if it's literally it's gonna it, you'll spend X amount of your time on digging and you'll spend X amount of your time on other areas. 
when in the girls' game, you know, you still play the game significantly in the back row. I mean, the, the best college teams, the best international teams, you still see you still see pretty long. I mean, you see great rallies in the men's game as well, but you still see a lot of rallying in the women's game, even though, you know, and I, I always looked at it like, you know, the women's net is 7-4. You know, if you touch over 10 feet as a female, you're jumping pretty high. So you're playing up to three feet above your net, but not significantly over three feet above your net. But al almost all the better men play well over three feet above their mm -hmm. net. So it just changes the angles of the ball and also the physicality of them, and they just hit the ball harder. Mm -hmm. So different angles, and it just hit, hit a lot harder. So, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great point. Well, and with boys, you know, you talked about maximum effort on defense. Uh, we can have really good male athletes that can still give maximum effort defensively and not have a chance to touch the never ball. Never dig the ball. They'll, they'll never dig <laughs> yeah. it. It's uh, like hitting a 150-mile-an-hour uh, fastball. It's it, impossible. Exactly. Yeah. And I think another thing to think about is when we train the girls, it's, it, it's training to, to, to win in defensive transition. With the boys, we'll emphasize more uh, offensive tactics to prevent a defensive transition. So there, there are different components that are involved in each game, uh, both very important. But the emphasis is different. What is your what is a what does a practice look like? And it may be different times of the year. It looks different. But you know, one of the questions was training skills, component drills, six versus six. How much time do you give to skill? How much time do you give to maybe small group play? How much time do you give to six on six? Do you give different amounts of time at different time of the year? I think that's a great question. Everybody would like to get a handle on because you know, I, I mean, you know, for being here for forty years, like we always change. December never looked like June. April didn't look like December or June. There's always there's always changes, and you know I've always been under the assumption you and I have talked a lot that American kids play too much because they'll play like you said you would play 80 matches in club and you would play another 30 or 40 in high school and we end up playing a lot and practicing a little. So what is your what does your normal day look like like right now you just started your season because it's it's early October. Uh, 2023, early October. But what will your what will your practices look like evolving from early season to mid season, maybe before a big tournament, and then as you get ready for nationals? Because you know your boys go away to play high school volleyball here in Illinois. They're done about President's Day. They go off and play high school volleyball March, April, May, and then they come back for a month in June. And then they go to nationals. Mm -hmm. So how do your how does your emphasis in practice? How do, what does it look like at different times of the year? Uh, for, for the if anybody were to come into our gym, I think for the first hour, regardless of whether you're watching a girls' practice or a boys' practice, you will see something very similar. They'll go through a warm-up. We have a partner ball control series. We have a team pepper ball control slash pepper series, and then we get into serving. That's going to be the most common thing that you're going to see for our first hour of training. Throughout the course of a week, if we're looking at the girls on the first day of the week, it'll be more of a defensive emphasis, serve-receive emphasis, setter training emphasis. With the boys, their first day of the week, it's going to be a little bit of a defensive day, but then it's going to be position work primarily after that. Uh, for the girls on a day two, we'd emphasize more attacking, blocking, component work. With the boys, it's going to be primarily a lot of blocking work, uh, a lot of attacking work. And one thing, you know, we had talked about uh, earlier, 
uh, with serve receive, how they'd have different skills. With the boys, they have to have the ability to hit a variety of different shots, uh, especially tooling the block. That That is one of the most important things that boys need to learn how to do because they can't put the ball to the floor every time because of because the block is is too big in a lot of cases so that's one thing that we're that we're really looking for so their day twos uh are a little bit different and then day three for for both boys and girls that's normally when we do our our competition days but the emphasis might be different for the for the girls than it is for the boys where with the boys you're rewarded more for first ball kill. With the girls, you're rewarded more for transition. So the the structure is essentially the same uh, for the first hour of practice uh, each day of the week, but each day might have a different uh, component to it. I would say with the boys, we spend more time in position training than we do with the girls. Even though our girls do do a lot of position training, uh, our, our day one position training for the boys would be middle blockers, do a lot of blocking work, attack transition work, pins and libros, do a lot of serve receive work, and then setters go do their own thing. On a day two position training, we would have the middles and setters go together working on their timing and tempo. Libros would do their own thing, and then we would separate the, the pin hitters and have them do their own attacking work on out, out of system in system yeah yeah. Uh, yeah all those working on the different shots that are available to them so the the position training is a little bit different uh with with the boys and the girls and how much time we spend on that uh the component play uh can be similar but with the boys when we do a three on three or a four on four they have to rally the ball back and forth three times before they can swing away. Because otherwise they'll just terminate right away. Uh, otherwise it's it's a bounce contest, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you get nothing out of it. And an ego contest. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I guess the other question is, how do you, one of the questions here was, how do you handle that, that break from high school season, and then when your guys come back, when the boys come back after their high school season, most of them are the top players in their high school teams. They've probably been overworked because in high school volleyball, they play a lot, practice a little. You know, they, they get back to you. The state championship here in Illinois is early June. Most players are done around Memorial Day weekend. You've got about a month before you go to nationals in Orlando. So what does that month look like because you have that high school break? And I guess for maybe the coaches out there that wouldn't, have, let's say, there's winter or fall high school boys volleyball somewhere, or the boys in other clubs are training in the winter and the spring. How would you approach it differently? So I guess a two-pronged question for well, you. Well, and I think everybody knows that with the girls, it's it's a gradual ramp up uh, to your end of the season tournament. So we're building uh, to have you know our best day on the last day of nationals. So that's what we do with the girls. With the boys, because we have that break, uh, everybody goes off to their high schools. Some of the boys might have to change positions. Uh, some of the boys uh, uh, might be the best player on their team and they're gonna get fed a lot of balls. Uh, the tempo and the rhythm of high school volleyball tends to be a little bit slower. When we get them back in June, and I've learned this over the last eight years of running the boys program is we're not going to go back to basics and reteach them how to do everything again. 
Uh, it's not to say that we don't do skill development, but our number one priority when we get them back in the gym in June is to find rhythm with their teammates again. And that is generally the hardest thing. So we'll dive right back into component play, front row, back row combos. We're working on our timing and getting our timing issues uh, back to where they were when we when we left in February. Well, you went September through February, and then you know the last two or three months you were playing at a really high level. So because they left at that level, went to play high school, played a lot in high school, uh, they're going to come right back in and basically pick up where you left off at the end of, at the, in, in February and then start to refine that by bringing everybody back together. Is that what you're saying? That's, that's the main thing. And it, it has been a formula that's actually worked well for us. Instead of taking the first week or two to, to get back into the basics, we throw them right back into the fire with trying to develop rhythm with their teammates. Um, also, another thing that I think is important when it, when it comes to this Getting back into your into a rhythm with teammates also means that because not all of our boys uh, that are seniors decide to, that they want to play college volleyball, a lot of them don't come back uh, for the summer months. So we might have to retool our teams and get those new teams into a rhythm with one another. So offensive rhythm is probably the main thing that we're looking to try to achieve uh, during the month of June before we go to nationals. This, what, you, what you just talked about a little bit, like jumping right back into team play, it kind of goes to one of the other questions we had. One of the other questions we had was uh, block versus random training with the boys. And uh, is it a lot more aggressive? I mean, what kind of things do you do? And I think for people who maybe you can do, it's, it's not controversial, but people talk about block training. What are the things that you can do in block training that are valuable? What are the things in random training you can do that are valuable? And there's, there's mixtures of both. And I've talked a lot about this in the different podcasts about situational training, training that occurs, you know, you, rep, repetitions in the manner that they occur in competition, but not necessarily six on six play. So, you know, that was one of the questions one of the, one of the, list, one of the members had brought up, like how much of your training is block training? Because a lot of times the boys don't have a lot of skill. And so they need just basic repetition. It'd be like a basketball player going out and just shooting the basketball a lot to get good reps, uh, or the quarterback throwing the football. Because I've, I've used a lot of other analogies. But what kind of, I guess, where does that fit into your training here? I, I think it's very similar to what we do with the girls. Um, early in the in the practice week, a lot of a lot of the training will be blocked. Um, there'll be specific things that we want the setters to work on, middles pins, Libros. So there is some block training that happens earlier in the week. Uh, and, I, and I guess it kind of depends on the type of, or the time of year it is. Uh, early on the season, I would say that we do a lot more block training than now that, We're not training. talking about blocking, we're talking about block training. Yeah, maybe, blocked maybe training. Maybe touch on that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll spend a lot more time early season in, in a blocked series more than random. The, the, t the reason that we would use a little bit more random uh, type of training early on the season is because when we're going through team evaluation and player evaluation, because we don't pick our teams at tryouts. So we do have to do a little bit more six on six than I would like, but we want to take time to make sure that we pick the teams right. And there are certain things that we can see in a blocked series of training that we would also like to see in a six on six situation. So those things have to match. But 
I would say as we get closer to major tournaments, it becomes a little bit more random uh, because it comes back to that timing component again. Uh, so I think it really kind of depends on the day of the week, but also the time of the year. So there is room for both of those type of training models. If you did all blocked training, especially for boys, they would become disinterested yeah, really fast. Yeah. If you just did all random training, I think that a little bit of uninterest would occur as well because they're really not getting the skills to play the game at a high level. And primarily so, by random, we're talking about just six versus six, just play. Right, just play. Yeah, and I guess, okay, so to lead into that of the – of, the, of your time in a week, if you let's say you have three hours of practice three times a week, that's nine hours. When you get in, when you get past the preseason part, how much of your nine hours is is six on six random play, or as I call situational play, where you specifically look like you may say quick attack and back row only, so the defense knows what's coming. They get to practice tactic tactical work, mm -hmm. and your your players are executing situations versus just random play. I mean, how does how much six on six, how much random versus situational, and then how much fundamentals or block training? Yeah, that's a good question. If, if we have nine hours in a week, uh, the first hour of each practice, that doesn't change. So we've already taken a third of our training time away. And ball, for ball it, skills ball, and fundamentals. Yeah, ball control with a partner, team ball control, serving. That's going to take a, at least a third of our training right there. Then I would say out of the other third, uh, the other, the next three hours, I would say an hour and a half is devoted to block training. The other half uh, of that three hours is based probably in, in situational, where they can only set left side on the first ball. Or we know that this is going to be a set up to help with our situational blocking. The other team's going to set the ball to the left side first. So we're working on trapping the outside hitter. So you're executing what you know is coming, and the other side of the net, the attackers are, ex they know, the defense knows what's coming, so they have to execute against a double block or triple block. So you're forcing the player to play at their highest level possible because there's no surprise element, there's no random element. Exactly, and then I would say out of the last uh, three hours of the nine hours that we have, uh, maybe, maybe two quarter or two thirds of it is in a random type situation. And then when you say, we talk about random, how much, like in the girls game, I know that I, I spend a lot of time on transition attack because there's, you know, you serve tough, you get balls that are hit less than 100%. There's lots of opportunities to get block touches, dig and kill. Mm -hmm. First ball kill can be off of a dig, first ball kill can be off of a side out. So how much in the boys game, on the boys side of it, how much time do you spend on side out attack and, you know, you know, and, and you and I have worked together a lot. So, you know, we spend a lot of time in practice on side-out kill, just just six people, mm -hmm. not even six versus six, but just pass, set, hit, pass, set, hit, yep. timing and execution. How much do you spend on between timing and execution of the six players pass, set, hit by rotation or pass, set, hit against the block or pass, set, hit against six and then play it out? Mm -hmm. how, how, what's your breakdown there or your guess, uh, guesstimate I, breakdown? I would say that uh, once we get past the preseason part, we will incorporate some sort of pass set hit in a serve receive situation almost every practice. Um, maybe not six on six though. Not yeah. six on six, yeah. but just working on the rhythm. Or maybe they're, maybe we're having trouble with the timing on the back. So in order for us to rotate, we got to get a kill on the back. 
or maybe it has to be up the middle. So that we have set certain criteria of what they need to do in serve receive. But I would say that a lot of our six on six games with the girls happen with a coach entry of some sort. Yeah. But with the boys, it's more with a serve entry. So we'll spend more time with a serve entry from the other side than we would off of a coach. Because the boys have to pass three different types of serves. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. we have to see that uh, the majority of any type of random training that we're doing or six-on-six six type of training where, where it's situational. So the ball entries are coming in more from serves than they are from a coach. So I think that that's probably one of the bigger differences that we have when we – analyze what we do with the girls as compared to what we do with the boys in their six on six uh, training. Another question that, that, that's here on the on this uh, agenda here is like, what about overtraining? I mean, you've got, you know, you've got big physical boys up to six, nine, six, 10, weighing over 200 pounds, jumping up to 12 feet, landing really hard off balance, uh, you know, and so maybe get into overtraining and then also things that you do to, you know, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, jumper's knee and patellar tendon work and things like that. Maybe what do you see in the overtraining side of it from the boys, from the girls? I mean, are there differences? I know there are similarities. Everybody has jumper's knee. Uh, everybody has shoulder issues. But do you see, is there something more prevalent on, in the boys' game? And also how do you try to avoid overtraining? Because like you say, the boys love to hit. They'll hit every day. And all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you're tired and you're mm -hmm. sore and you know, you've, you've started down that road of, you know, overuse injuries. So what do you, what do, you do to address, what, well, I guess, two parts. What are the overuse and overtraining injuries that you see primarily, and what do you do to try to address those with your planning or your cycle training? I think the biggest thing that we have, if you come into our gym or you go to any, you know, boys' tournament, a lot of the boys are wearing knee sleeves, and it's, it has a lot to do with, uh, the compression of their landings. Uh, we, we have a lot of jumper's knee, which we try to uh, alleviate during the week by having a practice that doesn't require a lot of jumping or it'll be a no jump. Uh, so I think that that's one of the bigger ones that we have. We don't have as many shoulder issues with boys as we do with girls. And I think that might have something to do with boys learning to throw uh, at a younger age than girls. So our, the shoulder issues that we have uh, are, are very treatable, uh, whether it be more band work or maybe it's a tweak of their mechanics. And for some reason, I find that boys tend to uh, adjust their arm swing mechanics a little bit faster than girls do. And I don't know what the reason is for that, but that's the thing that we've seen. Uh, we don't have quite as many ankle injuries with the boys as we do with the girls. Which is surprising because they jump so high. Wh yeah. Which is surprising. And uh, I, th I think a lot of times their ankle injuries occur more because they might land on somebody else rather than them landing awkwardly. Yeah. So those are the things that we kind of look at. And we've, we've dove deep into tendinopathy uh, with with the boys and the girls and we've seen really good results and I, I think from what I've seen over the last five years that our boys tend to be a little bit healthier going into nationals than our girls do sometimes and I, I don't know why, why that is but we don't have as many issues as 
the girls seem to sometimes. And two, this is a two-part question because sure. um, maybe explain to the coaches, like you talk about a no-jump day or a low-compression day. Maybe maybe explain to the coaches who are listening, who are you know just young coaches, who you know because we always had no-jump Wednesday with the girls program forever. You know it was just, it was three hours of defense and passing. But maybe explain to the coaches out there the, who are going to coach boys, like how would you be productive in a two or three hour practice if you're not jumping, if you're trying to give the players rest? Mm -hmm. And also, I know you know our boys have gone to Brazil a lot. The Brazilians have been here. The Brazilians are probably have the best as good a, as boys men's culture in volleyball as anybody in the world. What have you seen there that's that's similar to what you're doing, just in terms of? You know the block versus random because I want to get that in there as well because you know it's not just what you're doing but I think we've all learned from a lot of other people we all copy everybody mm -hmm. else and so what do you see there so that's kind of a two-part question like how do you manage the compression on, on a day where you don't want to jump and also what does it look like in like take a country like Brazil what does it look like in Brazil you know when are, are they doing six on six all the time are they doing I mean what are they doing I mean just I think these coaches would love to hear that well I well, first off, I'll, I'll start with if we have a no jump day, uh, it's going to be, you know, our first hour is going to be a warm up. We're going to do partner ball control, team bar control, and then the serving part. That's where they will do some jumping. So, but it's only 10 minutes. So they'll do about 10 minutes of jumping. Then from there, we have everybody, regardless of position, will do some sort of passing movement. So we'll have coaches or players up on boxes they will be moving and passing and we can put criteria on it where you can pass only underhand or you only pass overhand or you could do either one uh so that can take up some of our training time there just there there's no jump there but they all need the ball control work then we can go into a defensive series where we have players up on boxes and people are working on uh defending hard driven balls right Right, pretty much right at players them. hitting at each other. Yeah, but we go at different angles. Um, so the left backs, for example, one series they will dig line, then the next series they'll dig cross court, then the next series they'll dig off the middle. So we can get you know 20 to 25 minutes of good digging just right there, yeah. which, which each of the players and that can extend out to 45 minutes if you have two groups. And then the last part is. Uh, just focused three-person, two-person, four-person service eve, where we have set certain criteria, and uh, that will that will take three hours to get through that. So we've gone through a whole practice where they've literally jumped for ten minutes. Yeah. But they've gotten a lot of good work in. Some days, if we, I'm sorry, if we come off of a weekend where we played two or three days on concrete on sport court on concrete. We might go two days of that, but vary the drills. And so it'll allow the, t the guys an opportunity to get good ball touches, but not beat themselves up. Now, you asked about what we see in Brazil. We see the exact same thing. They don't jump and play six on six every single day. Uh, in fact, when we observe the professional team you know, that hosts us, they will break off where the, the middles and setters will go together and the pins and libros will go together, and they'll they'll have their separate practices. Practices, completely separate. Completely yeah. separate practices, yeah. and they're maybe in for an hour and a half, and that's about it. But it's a lot of high quality touches, specific to their position. Specific yeah. to their position. Yeah. So 
they do do a lot of position training uh, and they don't they don't train six on six all the time. I think when we come down to visit them, that's the time that they play six on six more. I think people have a tendency because we hear so much about random versus block training and you know the game teaching the game and and you know I think a lot of that stuff gets it gets conceptualized all the way out to where it's an absolute it's the only thing you can do but I don't think people realize I mean you and I have traveled all over the world and you know most teams don't spend in a three-hour practice they're not spending three hours six on six you know a lot of times they're they're less than an hour of six on six but it may be multiple balls it may be situational training you know they're playing on weekends so you get your high intensity work there but they're also doing a lot of the things that you talked about well, just this past year, we, we took our girls to Japan, and we went uh, the last couple of days we were in Tokyo, and there was a bunch of Japanese high school teams there, and we were going to start competition at 10 o'clock. Our team and the other Japanese teams, we, we were there before 8 o'clock, and every court they were training. So they trained for two hours before we even got close to playing six on six. Yeah. When we go to Brazil, it's very similar. You know, we have the professional coaches from Brazil train our guys uh, for the first session every day, and it's a lot of skill work. And it it actually uh, is like that in every country that I've been to. I it's think, like that. I think the, the coaches in America would be amazed that in Brazil and Japan, like how much – pepper work is done mm -hmm. because you know we always hear about pepper has no value and I think you and I know compl it's completely the opposite but you hear that pepper has no value and but you go to Brazil neither it's on the same side of the net or it's over the net but it's it's multiple contacts multiple reps different variations of you know 30 40 50 percent full speed but it's it's you're practicing transition you know and especially in the girls game but the boys game as well you're digging and setting and hitting you know mm -hmm. and in in diff, some different capacities so you're and you bring in exterior factors and things like that you know maybe angles of the ball and things like that but i think that's one of the things that people don't realize so much all right let's talk about coaches okay i think for one of the things that boys volleyball is relatively you know it's growing but it, you know one of the things i think you're going to see is there's going to be a lot of females they're going to be end up coaching males because there's just way more females in the country who've played volleyball mm -hmm. than there are males. And so you, you think at the high school level, the club level, and you have here, you have a, a, lot of your, a lot of your coaches for your boys program are females. Mm -hmm. And you have, so if you grew up playing girls volleyball or you're a female, like what, how do you, what's the training, what's the, what's the introduction, what are the differences that, that you tell the, the, the ladies, the women that they need to look for and what are the differences that you found between coaching boys and girls? That's a really good question. And I, I think I'll go back to my own experience because prior to taking over the boys program, uh, I had always had a girl's background. So when I first started uh, as boys director, I took a lot of the things that I did with the girls in, in terms of their training and implemented it with, with our boys. For the younger kids, that worked very well. For the older kids, I think it worked well, but there, there were things that I just didn't know about the boys' game, which was, were things that I learned uh, over the course of being a boys' director where our emphasis needed to change. And I think the biggest thing uh, 
that we have to understand is we can't get upset when a when a boy can't dig a ball that's hit at him 120 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Where, uh, you know, in the girls' game, we kind of expect them to make a dig. So I think that was the one thing coming from girls going into boys is that there are times where you have to be okay with the opponent just making a superior play to what we were capable of actually executing. And then the emphasis on uh, blocking was certainly a difference. Uh, Not to say that we don't work on blocking with the girls, but I think it's a little bit more crucial with the boys and understanding the tactics of when you're going to trap, when you're going to commit, those things are, are very, very important in terms of uh, being able to coach boys. And then also, I think from a personality standpoint, uh, it's, it's a little bit of this. When, when you're coaching girls and if you're in a huddle and you tell Sally that she made a good dig, Sally's thinking, why is the coach talking about me? And her teammates are like, I'm glad the coach isn't talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> With boys, if you say, hey, Jack, that was a great block, Jack is like, yeah, I know it was a I great know. block. I'll yeah. let you know. It was yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. And his teammates are like, why isn't the coach talking about yeah. me? So yeah. there, there are different uh, egos involved in, in, as far as uh, teaching boys and teaching girls. And you have to learn how to balance that. And it's not to say that there are – are boys that would rather not get talked about and there's girls that want to get talked about. So it, it kind of depends on the personality, but you know, if we're doing generalizations, those are some of the things that, that I've seen uh, coaching both. <laughs> well, so. I think also you see when you coach boys, a lot of times if you were, let's say you were a good high school player, a good college player, you might be coaching a group of boys that every boy is a better athlete than anybody you ever played with. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes one of the things that, that you have to do is you, as, as a young coach is you figure out, you know, what's the ceiling of the talent that I'm coaching? Because, you know, if you're coaching a, a 14 girls team where nobody touches nine feet or you're coaching a 17 boys team where everybody's touching 10-5 or higher, you know, what's the ceiling? How do I manage this? And I think that's one of the things that, that young coaches, they get, into, they get into the training and the playing but you have to always adapt your expectations to the level of talent that you have. And you and I talked about, you know, before we got on, on the podcast here, we talked about, you know, the, the Olympic qualifications going on for men's volleyball. And, you know, Japan has one of the best four or five teams in the world, and they just lost to Egypt. Mm-hmm. You know, and nobody and in women's volleyball, there's six or eight good teams, and there's a few – there's six or eight great teams, there's a few good teams. But in men's volleyball around the world, there's a lot of really strong teams because it's not hard to find seven to ten males who are – big and tall and physical and jump really high and play three or three and a half to four feet above their net Mm -hmm. and so I think that's one of the things that you know you probably look at with your your coaches who maybe just have a background in girls volleyball whether whether they're male or female they just have a background in girls volleyball so they're used to pass and serve and first contact and you know we don't hit the ball real hard the blocking is not really as important as it is I mean there's areas in the girls game where if you list the five skills blocking is five but in the men's game, it's never going to be lower than two or three uh, when you get into high school. So I think, it, do you, I mean, do you feel that's one of the well, issues? Well, I, I think another thing to think about, too, is when you come from a girl's background, I would say that we have a lot of very good female coaches uh, that coach females and female coaches that coach boys. But the thing that I see with girls volleyball is that it can be a lot more technical than boys in terms of 
how you hold your platform, you know, arm swing, uh, defensive pursuit, all of those type of things where they're a little bit more technically skilled than boys. Sometimes you have to allow the boys to be athletic yeah, and just make a play. Now, they might not have had their platform correct formally or they didn't shrug their shoulders correctly or they didn't have a great hand shape when they set the ball, but the ball went to the spot with no spin and it was perfect. So sometimes you have to allow the athleticism to come out with the boys. Now, that's not to say that you still shouldn't teach them the proper technique of how to do every skill, but sometimes you just got to let them be athletic. And I think sometimes when we come from a girl's background, we're so focused on did they do it technically right that we forget that we can just allow them to be free and play athletically. The results are what count. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then I guess the last two questions, for little, next to last is somebody, somebody asked, what are the trends? What trends do you see going forward in men's volleyball? I mean, the, it's a short, small area. The guys are really big right now. Uh, they're athletic. You know, the court is, you know, it's, it's nine meters by nine meters. The net is, you know, about eight feet high. So do you, what trends do you see? Do you see a perpetuation of what we're doing right now, or do you see what trends do you see in the future? Uh, as, far as, as far as the game itself, it, it, the game itself really hasn't changed a whole lot other than there's more better players out there. So the trend is, is that we are getting better athletes playing the game, which is allowing us to be a lot faster and a lot more dynamic, not only with our top teams, but even with some of our lower teams. So the trend is, is that we're starting to get better athletes and more of them, which eight years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. So I think the trend right now is the game styles are essentially the same, but you're seeing more athletic kids, but you're also seeing more athletic kids starting when they're younger. So I think the skill level has actually improved. So that's been the trend because we, we just have more kids doing it now. And if you look at nationals, AAU nationals, we had over a thousand teams. There are a lot of good players. A lot of good players that you might not be on one of the top or upper echelon clubs, but really good players. Playing. Great individual talent. Yeah, there's a lot of great individual talent. Well, you have a, you have a player now this year touches over 12 feet is correct. that correct yep that's correct. so if you touch over 12 feet you're playing over four feet above your net mm -hmm. so that would be like a, a girl hitting touching a, over 11 four yeah which is unheard of mm -hmm. so i think that kind of gives the coaches an idea this is how high these guys are above their net you know when they're blocking when they're hitting how dynamic they are so i mean you're doing a lot of things that you know do you see that the, the trend lines maybe what what teams do at the international level and college level, you know, that's just creeping down into high school level and club level. So the tactics aren't dramatically changing, but the level and the skill of the tactics is mm -hmm. coming down. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. There's just more talented kids out there. There's more athletic kids. Uh, I think that their volleyball is becoming a lot more attractive to some of the better athletes. And the kids that would normally chose, choose football, basketball, or baseball now are trending toward volleyball a little bit. Uh, it's on TV a lot more, uh, especially uh, women's college volleyball. You can find it 
on lots of networks now and guys see it and they're like oh i want to check out men's volleyball so they so they do that and uh men's volleyball or boys volleyball is becoming a cooler sport to play now uh where it wasn't like that probably 10 years ago so it's a uh, it's great for our game and i think another thing and i'm going to kind of switch gears on this too is if you can develop a good boys program one thing that we've noticed is that the our boys alumni tend to coach so they'll get involved in coaching as well so if you're looking to add uh, boys volleyball to your club it's going to pay off in many different areas long term so I think that's kind of the some of the trends that I'm well, seeing. Well, one of the things that we noticed, you, know, we've, you and I have talked about it a lot, is a lot of times the girls get done with college volleyball, and they've been in it since fifth or sixth grade. You know, they're tired. <laughs> you know, they, they're done. They want it, they're done. They want to do other things. A lot of the boys, they start playing in high school, and, you know, they didn't play all the time. It's still new to them, and, you know, boys have a tendency to kind of be gym rats anyhow about it. So, you know, we, that's where we saw. We see a lot of, you know, and it wasn't that we didn't want females coaching fem- girls' teams here, you know, when I was here. But there was just a lot of guys that liked to coach, you yeah. know, and they, they just, they, they were gym rats, they want to be involved, you know, and, and, you know, I think you kind of see the same thing with some of the girls who coach the boys' teams. They don't, I think sometimes they just like, they would rather coach boys than girls, you know, just, it's a, it's a preference for them. But I think you see that a lot, okay. And then I think the last question, which is on the list here, is how do you, I mean, when, when I, you've been here a long time, and yep. so when I ask you to coach the boys' program, I mean, part of the marching orders was we want to win, okay? Yeah. I mean, anything that we did here, we wanted to always win at. And the last question I say for, for this podcast was one of the coaches wanted to know about how do you develop a championship culture? And is, there, is, the, is the championship culture nurtured and developed differently with boys than it is with girls? I mean, I can speak to the girls thing all day, mm-hmm. and you've been with me as an assistant coach, but what do you do different with the boys? What do you do that's similar? Because here at Sports Performance, you know, there's been a lot of championships won, you know. And, but what do you do similar that your boys, it transitions well from both sides? And then how do you approach the boys differently about that cultural development? Because I think a lot of coaches who might be listening to this, they're just starting to develop maybe their high school programs, their club programs, and they want to go from being maybe more recreational to more, that they want to set some standards and, you know, we talk a lot in sports about culture is king. And until you have culture, you're never going to win. You know, and you can train skills all day, but if you don't have the culture in your gym, it's only going to take you so far. So how do you, how do with the boys program specifically, how do you develop? Because you guys are always on the edge every year. You're mm-hmm. always, you're always, you know, a top five program. You're always there play, getting ready to play for gold on the last day. You're all, you're, I know your goals every year are to medal at nationals, which is extremely hard to do because there's so many great boys teams around the country. But how do you approach that? What, what's the culture issue with boys versus what it was when you were with girls? I, I think when, when you're going to start a boys program, you need to be very self-reflective to begin with and have a long-term vision of where where you want to be if you want to develop a championship type program first you need to understand that it's going to take a long time to develop it it can get anywhere from four to eight years before you get there Uh, but if you have certain standards of what you're not going to accept and what you are going to accept right from the beginning is is the most important thing so if we're looking at attention to detail things is a standard that when we come to practice, 
everybody helps set the gym up. All right, we have no exceptions on that. Uh, do they look a certain way at practice? All right, everybody has to look the same. Or maybe that's not important to you, but whatever championship level standard you want to have, you have to implement it from day one. All right, you can't, you can't ease your way into it. That, that's one of the biggest things. Uh, and especially for boys, if, if you tell them, hey, these are our standards, this is what we expect, and you hold them accountable for that, generally they'll, they'll take to it. And it'll become a sense of pride for them. Now, I think the thing that uh, I thought was important when I took over uh, the boys program was that they needed to understand the amount of work that it's going to take in order to get to a championship level. Meaning that are you only practicing on the days that you're scheduled to practice or are you gonna put in extra time to become better? And we're fortunate here at Sports Performance that our gym is open to everybody if, if you're a sports performance member all the time. And I think one thing that I've seen over the last four to five years is the amount of time our boys spend in the gym outside of practice. Gym rat. Gym that, rat that, was, that was the thing that, that I felt needed to change the most was how serious can you get about this? And in order for us to shift uh, gears and try to pursue championships is we needed to change their mentality uh, as far as work goes. And they needed to put in a lot more extra time. Now, that extra time isn't going to guarantee that we win championships, but the effort is going to give us the best opportunity to. So I think once you get the boys hooked on, you know, it feels good to put that extra work in, they'll pursue it. They'll get after it. And I think that's the championship standard that you need to talk about in reference to if we're going to pursue championships, they have to understand it's going to take a lot more work than just the practice time that they put in. Well, you talked about you talked about time, and I think one of the things that you would probably agree with me on is that you said 48 years, which I agree 100% with, and a championship culture in the first two or three years, your older players, they may they may have that culture, but if they don't have the time in the gym, if they don't have the reps, if they don't have the training the idea that you're going to win championships is you're probably not going to win championships. Mm -hmm. But when you have that with the younger kids, with the, your older players, almost at the beginning, your older players have to buy in and they're the legacy developers. They develop the legacy of your program. They build, they leave the legacy behind. And then it's the young players who have the same, and I think this is important for coaches to know, I think you'd agree, if the, if the culture is the same from the top to the bottom, then the kids at the bottom, the youngest kids that go through that culture year after year after year, they get closer and closer and closer to being a championship level team because not only do they have the culture, they have the time and the reps and the training. Here's, here's the evolution of, of what I went through as a boys director is, uh, you know, I have, there were boys directors that came before us that laid a really good foundation for our program. They did a really nice job of setting a foundation of a very solid volleyball program that can compete. When I took over, we wanted to raise our expectations. Now, <laughs> the, 
after my first year, I, I coached our 18 elite boys and our 14 elite boys. And our 14 elite boys won the national championship. And then our 18 elite boys uh, lost, what was it, 15-13 in the 18 Open National Championship in my very first year. And I thought that this was easy. Every we're, year. We're going to do, do this every year. Yeah, not but, that way. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And it was, it was very difficult. But what came from that is we had a group of seventh graders that came through the program that kind of developed their own type of championship culture. And, and these guys are now uh, sophomores or juniors in college. And that group that came through actually set our culture in a really good spot. And now we're into you know year three of our boys having a very exceptional culture, meaning that these are the guys that were seventh graders that came through the program they did our setting academies, they did our first contact academies, they'd come in for lessons, they would do all the extra work. And the new kids that we would bring into the program, they didn't know any different. They, they knew that if they came here, okay, we gotta put a lot of extra work in. So it's not uncommon for anybody to come into our gym, especially in the summer and the fall, and look out at our courts, and it's occupied by boys. Yeah. And, but that took five years for us to get to that point. And now we've got a group of athletes that year in and year out, they're, they're hungry to keep the culture the way it is. And I would say last year's senior group, uh, those guys were fifth graders when I took over the boys program. They came up through the program. We've had the best culture in the boys program ever since I've been here. But it's taken a long time. And people have to understand that it is a long process. Well, I think the also we've talked about this at length too, is the, the boys and, you know, here at Sports Performance, you've got elite level boys and girls and the programs feed off each other. I mean, the, the girls see the boys who play at such a high level physically and they wanna, they wanna copy that, they wanna hit harder. You know, and then the, the boys see the girls in here just grinding on defense and serve receive, you know, some of the areas that they might not be in love with, but you know, are absolutely crucial to success. And then they realize, and they see the commitment level of the girls, because historically, you know, the girls program is over 40 years old. So it's been, I think it's been a great win-win for both. And you know, when I was here, we had the boys and girls actually practice together, and I know you're doing the same thing. But I think that's one of the things that, you know, coaches who are listening to this, who maybe coach girls program and boys programs in high school or club, you know, the marriage of those two in terms of just how you copy, how you train, how you emulate, how you develop both, it's a win-win. I mean, it's not one doesn't win, one doesn't lose. I mean, there, there's value, you know, I mean, the best female players in the world watch the best male players, you know, and the, the best male players grow up. They, they want to have, when they're young, they want to have ball control like a lot of the best females do so I think that's good Troy thank you very much and this is invaluable I think the the um, coaches who have you know talked to us about this are going to love it and we want to wish everybody the absolute best I know a lot of you guys are finishing up your high school season right now and getting ready to go into your club season and Troy we want to wish you and the sports performance program thank you. Uh, the very best and uh, if you want to look at the videos we have a lot of great video content at www.bestvolleyballvideos.com and wishing everybody the best have a great day thank you